Our whole theme for whole church is what we want to do is placing God the center of our lives. And I know each one of you here know that we live in a frenetic society. If I was to ask you what's your schedule like, you would have no problem telling me that, you know what, we are just so busy. We are a tired people. And God has something to say about that because he doesn't want us to live a frenetic life. You know, when you read Psalm 23, he says he wants to make us lie down by green pastures. He wants to lead us beside quiet waters. Now, when you look at that imagery, you know, quiet waters and just a nice flowing stream, picture that in your mind right now. Is that your life? Or is your life more like a rapids? You know, where water is just flowing down uncontrollably. And if you step in, you're going to get swept away from, whoa, swept away from the current. And I take that as an amen to that, what I just said. Okay. Um, but anyway, I think that's the, most, the way most of us would describe our lives. But God doesn't want us to live that way. God has a better plan for us. And our whole, the theme of this verse comes from Psalm 90.12. So if you could see that, Psalm 90.12. Now, if you see our title slide is under the sun, um, I kind of changed up our sermon. We were supposed to do another sermon, um, but... Um, you know, I think God placed it upon my heart to change it up today. So we're going to conclude our series today on Under the Sun. But, you know, this is a psalm that, believe it or not, was written by Moses. I know a lot of you think that, oh, David writes the psalms. But no, this was a psalm written by Moses. And he says, teach us to number our days. Because if you read Psalm 90, if you haven't, I suggest you all do that. Because in that psalm, Moses depicts God as everlasting to everlasting. That our lives in comparison to an everlasting God is so short. Our life is so brief here. It's like, uh, you know, a blinking of our eye. And it's even shorter than that. That's our life here on earth compared to an eternal God. And uh, he talks about the mountains, you know, and a lot of times we think we're like the mountains, that we're going to be here forever, you know, especially for those of you who are young, in high school and college, you think you're going to be here forever. But what he's saying that even if you live to your 80s and 90s, guess what? Your life is brief compared to an eternal God, an eternal existence. So what he's saying is God Teach me to live my days as if they were numbered. Because it's human nature that when we ever have more than we need, what do we do? We don't steward it. We tend to waste it, right? Whenever we have more than we need, we tend to waste it. We don't really tend to really conserve it, to get the most out of it. Why? Because we have so much. And this is what Moses is saying. God... Teach me to live my life as if it was short so that I do not waste my life here on earth, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Give me the wisdom to learn how to prioritize my life so I don't waste it because my uh, life here is so short. Because 
For those of us like myself who have more days behind us than ahead of us, we tend to get a little bit more focused in our life. You know, for those of you who play sports, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, first inning, first quarter, yeah, you're, you're playing the game, right? But you really start to get involved when it's what? Maybe the you know, second half of the fourth quarter, when the game's getting close, when you know that you've only got two minutes left, right? The game's on the line. You're at the bottom of the ninth. All of a sudden, you start getting focused. Why? Because the game is going to be over soon. And this is what Moses is asking God. Teach me to live my life like I've got five minutes left before the buzzer sounds. Because if I look at my life like the first quarter or the first inning, you know, I'm just going, you know, I'm, we're playing. But that focus comes in at the end. And what Moses is saying is, Moses also knows that we all chase things, right? We all chase things um, that give us a sense of purpose, fulfillment, and esteem, Right? If I was to ask you, what are you chasing right now, right? Picture, think about, what are the things you're chasing? What are the things you want out of life? What's driving that? If you really think about it, it's purpose, fulfillment, or esteem. And for those of us who are, you know, middle-aged and my age, we know that chasing those things are just temporary, and we don't really, that don't really satisfy us. And we know that, don't we? But there's something that keeps us trying to go after that carrot, right? We see the carrot there. We know that when we get it, it's just temporary. It doesn't satisfy. But we're constantly, constantly, constantly looking for that one thing that will give us satisfaction. And today that we're going to learn, apart from God, you're never, ever going to get that. And we're going to learn today from King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. You know, early on in his life, he was given supernatural wisdom because he was a young king. And God asked, I will give you whatever you want. And so Solomon said, God, give me the wisdom to lead your people. And God was so impressed that Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for fame. He asked for wisdom. That's how, that he said, I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to give you power, but I'm going to give you wisdom, what you ask, and you will be the wisest person that ever walked on this planet other than Jesus Christ himself. Right? And so Solomon was wise. But also, he had the rare gift that kings did didn't have during his time. He reigned during a golden age of peace. That there were no wars that were uh, along his borders. So he didn't have to occupy himself and his time thinking about how to protect his country or how to defeat his enemy because he was living in uh, peacetime. So he had a lot of time to think. He had a lot of time to think. And he was, basically what he thought about was what is the purpose of life? What's the purpose of life? Why are we here? 
And you think, well, here is the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth. He's going to have something to say about it. But not only did he think about it, he examined every part of aspect of human life, science, relationships, and everything that you could look for about human life. He examined it. But he was also wealthy and powerful. And he tried to experience all the pleasures that this world had to offer, whether it was food, whether it was sensual pleasure, whether it was power, fame, materialism. He had the money to try it all. He had the money and the power to try it all. And at the end, at the end of trying everything that this world had to offer, he came, the wisest man on the face of this earth, came to this conclusion. And if you go to the next slide, it says, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king of in Jerusalem. Okay, we know that Solomon was David. And this is what he came to. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, aren't you happy you came to church? <laughs> the wisest man in this world came to this planet. And what was his thing after he experienced everything? He says, meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I've done everything that you can imagine. I've experienced every pleasure that you could ever imagine. And guess what? Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And so that's the whole theme of this book. Now, you, pre- you probably think, why is this book even in the Bible? Because if you read this, it's like, oh, sheesh, I just want to go walk in front of a truck then. If life is meaningless, what's the purpose? But then he kind of tells us. But he's kind of like baiting us here, right? He's baiting us here. And he says in verse uh, Ecclesiastes 1-3, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? He says, really? You guys are working hard. What do you really gain that satisfies you? You know, I mean, when I was a youngster, I mean, we were a poor family, but back in my days, cars were important. I know right now, you, all you kids, it's Uber. You don't even want your driver's license. As long as you got somebody to drive you here and there, that's cool. But back in my day, we needed a car. Everyone wanted a car. We all wanted our driver's license. And back, my first car, I so wanted a uh, Nissan, or what was it, Datsun back then, 240Z. That's what I wanted, right? But instead, I got a 1961 Chevy Nova wagon that was so beat up and was so old. But I wanted that car. Why do you think I wanted a car? Why do you think I wanted that car? So I could get the girls. If I had a 240Z, woo, you know. But it wasn't until one of my good friends said, Dave, If you could get a girl to go out to you driving that piece of junk that you're driving, and if she could go out with you again, then you know she's going out because of you and not your car. 
you know. But anyway, that's what I wanted. And so remember getting that my first car was a Toyota Corolla. I was so happy. Okay, it wasn't a 240Z. Hey, but it was new. It was new. And so, I mean, you would wash it all the time. And guess what? I have no idea where it is right now. It's probably been scrapped and, and melted down and it's part of somebody else's, you know, car right now. But then I got another new car and I said, wow, I got a Honda Accord. Woo! You know, and it was new and it was great. I was so happy. A lot faster than a Corolla. Guess what? Where's that car? I have no idea where that car is right now. But isn't that true? All of my hard work went to things that only had a temp that I was just happy for just, a, you know, for a little while. And then it's over. Then I had to get the next thing. And this is what he is saying here is what are you gaining when you work so hard for these things that are just temporary and that you just get a temporary joy because you're, it's a never ending cycle could be car, clothes. I mean, all you guys who play sports, you got your first LeBron James or KD shoes. You probably were so happy. And then what? Uh, I played in them. They get dirty. They get old. I need a new pair of shoes because if I get these new $200 pair of shoes, it'll make me a better basketball player. Right? And so you kind of keep doing that. Right? You know the drill. You know the drill. But we keep doing it. But, and that's what Solomon came to the conclusion. You know, why? What do we get for our hard work? And then he said, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Basically what Solomon is saying is, look guys, the majority of you, us, we're not that special. You know, after, let's say, Michael has his grandkids and they get to know me after that, no one will know me. No one will know who, who I was, you know. The only good thing is if we have that 100-year celebration, you know, that we've been here uh, at church, this Mission Valley is 100 years old, my picture might be in there. And so that's the only way people are going to remember me. But come on, the next generation, that generations come and generations come, we will be forgotten. We will be forgotten. And so, once again, it's, it's meaningless if we're trying to chase fame and fortune and things like that and he said in the next verse Ecclesiastes verse 9 what has been will be again what has been done will be done again there is nothing new under the sun what he's saying is everything that we are experiencing today has been done. There's nothing that has been done today that hasn't been done in the past. It's just the modern version. It's just the modern version. The same thing that drove uh, his people to certain actions, to acquire certain things, to do certain things, were the same back then as they are today. He goes, everything has been done over and over again. I mean, look at bell bottoms. Hey, I grew up with bell bottoms. Guess what? They're making a comeback. It's like, whoa, look at these new pair of pants. I go, there's nothing new under the sun. We had those. For all you guys think that, ooh, look at these Converse All-Stars. These are such cool shoes. Nothing new under the sun. We had them. I have Adidas Superstars. Nothing new under the sun. 
I had those. (laughs) It all comes back around. But, you know, before you start getting depressed, and, you know, Ecclesiastes could be a depressing book, there's this one key phrase that unlocks this entire book. And if you understand this phrase, it gives meaning to what Solomon is saying. And there's only three words. It's under the sun. Under the sun. Because like I said, woven into Ecclesiastes is the secret phrase that he writes 29 times under the sun. And so what are you saying here? He says, if all there is to life under the sun, then life has no meaning. If all there is to life, if all there is to experience under the sun, there is, life is meaningless. If all there is to life is what we see, what we hear, and what we do under the sun, life is meaningless. Is it, if all there is to life of what we know here on earth, then life has no meaning. And that's what he's trying to say is if we take a look at life under the sun and all the world has to offer, if that's the only thing that we experience, then life has no meaning. But then he goes on and he baits us a little more. He goes, I have seen something else under the sun, that the race is not swift nor the battle strong to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor for the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. What he's saying here, he said there's a randomness to life under the sun that just doesn't make sense. You could try to figure it out, you could try to understand it, you could try to control it, to prevent it from happening again, but there's a certain randomness in this life. He said, sometimes the fastest don't always win the race. Why do you think March Madness is called March Madness, right? How many of your brackets are blown because the team that was supposed to win, the team that was supposed to be in the finals, got knocked out in the first or second round? It doesn't make sense. The, fast, the, the race isn't always won by the swift. There's this randomness there. Um, sometimes you may plan well, and you're smart, and you still go hungry. You know, how many of you know brilliant people that really aren't successful? We all have people in our life, when we look at them, we go, man, that person is really smart. Really smart. But what happened? What happened? And life, as we know, is not always fair. The righteous suffer and evil prospers. You know, people gain from injustice. You know, they gain from prejudice. They gain from hate, you know. And you say, where is the... uh, um, not life. Where is the uh, value or where's the fairness in that? When people who are living life right, 
that are loving, that are caring, they're the ones persecuted. It makes no sense. Why? Because we think that life's supposed to be fair. I remember my aunt when I was young took me to Akira Kurosawa's uh, movie called Ran. I don't, know if, I don't know. Did any of you see Ran? Maybe some of you older folks, right? And so I just went because I thought it was a samurai movie and I don't speak Japanese. So she said, I think she said there were subtitles. So we, I went to watch it and I came out of that movie depressed. And she, I said, man, why'd you take me to this movie? It's a horrible movie. You know, it's a tragedy. And she goes, yeah, Dave, it's a tragedy. Well, no, she said it's a tragedy. And then I said, yes, I know it's a tragedy. I didn't understand that was a genre of Shakespeare, a tragedy. Where all the good guys died and the bad guys prosper. I hate that kind of movie. You know, in my time of movie, yeah, you have good guys, you have bad guys, right? The good always triumphs and the guy always gets the girl. That's my hap- that's the movies I like, right? But I saw that one, all the bad guys succeeded and all the good guys died. Why? Cuz I thought at that moment life was supposed to be fair. That good was always supposed to triumph over evil, but we don't see that you know, here on earth. Eventually, you know, praise be to God, that righteousness will triumph over evil. But under the sun, there's this randomness where we don't see that fairness. And it causes us to believe, what is the purpose? If I live life right, and this guy lives life wrong, and he's successful, and I'm not. But then he starts changing things a bit. And then he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, under the sun, there's randomness. Under the sun, there is injustice. Under the sun, there is prejudice. There's hate. There is unfairness. But every once in a while, in God's timing, we have these moments where we go, wow, wow. You know, one of those moments came when, you know, I like to, you know, when I was uh, uh, younger or, you know, we used to go fishing at Mammoth, right? And for those of you who've been up in Mammoth in the mountains on a clear night and you just look up at the stars, don't you get a sense of awe? It's like, whoa, whoa, life can't be just random, Life can't be just random. And there are these moments that God places that we see the beauty of God because God is beauty. And we go, wow. We wow. That, okay, life, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this randomness because he puts these um, moments of beauty in our lives. And then he also says, this is a great verse, I love this verse. He has also set eternity in the human heart. He has also set eternity in the human heart. God has placed inside each one of us the desire to go beyond what we just see under the sun. What we hear, what we see, what we feel under the sun. He has given us the desire for something more than this is life. And this verse answers it. 
God has placed eternity in our hearts where he has um, placed a place in each one of us that only somebody who is from everlasting to everlasting can fulfill. You could chase everything under the sun like Solomon did and you'll find meaningless. You'll find life meaningless. But, but, if you start searching for things beyond under the sun. That's where you find God. And that's where you'll find um, your fulfillment, your desire and your esteem. Because earlier, this is why I said, you know, you could try everything you want, but outside of God, you will never be ultimately fulfilled. You will never be ultimate. You'll never find your ultimate purpose, and you'll never have esteem. Why? Because he placed eternity in each one of our hearts. But you know what? The enemy knows this, right? And I fall into this trap so many times. If I know that my ultimate purpose, my ultimate fulfillment, and my ultimate esteem can only come from God who placed eternity in my heart, why do I go after things that are so temporal? Why? Because the devil, God is trying to allow us to see and experience beyond under the sun. But what our enemy, Satan, wants us to do is to focus on everything under the sun. And let's face it, there are some things that are under the sun that are attractive, that are, that are alluring. But in the end... God and our enemy knows that they will never fulfill us. Right? Because Satan knows if, if everything under the sun was so bad, we wouldn't chase it. Right? I mean, what's the herb that I just detest in the whole world? Cilantro. I've said that enough, right? I can't stand I don't care what you put cilantro. My wife loves cilantro, but I don't care what you put cilantro on. To me, it ruins the entire dish. Whether it's Chinese chicken salad, a burrito, or anything, a taco, it just ruins everything. Why? Because I just don't like cilantro. However, you know, my dislike for cilantro was scientifically proven that I read this article that some people just have this, something in our taste buds that cilantro just doesn't, it just tastes like soap, you know, to me, right? So I stay away from it. But if everything under the sun for me was like cilantro, I wouldn't go after it. But guess what? Everything under the sun is not like cilantro. It's like prime rib. Right? Then it's like, okay, that looks good. I'm going to go for it. But ultimately, it doesn't satisfy us. And this is where our enemy operates. You know, now let's go to the end of the book. Okay, we've been, you know, he's trying to depress us, you know, by saying that life is meaningless. But in the next first Psalm, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. I've been the judge. I've tried the case. And this is what my conclusion is. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. This is the guy 
who is the wisest man who ever walked on the face of this earth. He is a man who had more money than you and I could ever make in umpteen lifetimes. He had more power, more fame than any of us here in this room will ever achieve. And he did it all. He did it all. There was nothing that he didn't try. But at the end, at the end, this is his verdict that number one he said that life is meaningless if we chase for things under the sun but his second conclusion is this fear God and keep his commandments you know have an awesome respect for God be in awe of God that sometimes we see Jesus as our buddy that God as our buddy, but he's the creator of the universe, right? There needs to be a certain awe and a respect of God and to obey his commands. But you don't know my situation. I have a horrible boss. What does he say? Fear God and keep his commandments. But man, you know what? I try to raise my children right, but you know they're going their own direction. They're not going in the way that we thought they would go. Fear God and keep his commandments. Well, you don't know our marriage. There's so much stress in our marriage right now. Fear God and keep his commandments. During when times are good, fear God and keep his commandments. When things go wrong, fear God and keep his commandments. Because this is the only way you're going to find fulfillment. And Solomon just, you know, he'll taunt you. He'll just say, go for it. Go for it. You know, and all of you young kids are going, ah, this is so depressing. You know, why even go, you know, why even experience life? And some of us old folks are going, ah, the guy was right. And the guy was right. 3,000 years ago, he wrote this, and he's right. Because we've lived life, and we've all come to the same conclusion that Solomon has. You know, for you high school and college kids, for any of you in high school and college, I encourage you to do this. Every day and every night, ask God, what is your will for me? You got that? For those of you in high school, for those of you in college, every morning, every night, ask God, what is your will for me? As best as I could understand it, what is your will for me? You know why? Because you have a chance to do it right the first time. Right? Those of us who have lived life, we all have regrets. We go, man, if I only knew this when I was younger, right? If I only knew this, I would have done things differently. Now, granted, the experiences we have helped shape who we are today. But, you know, you can't, your high school and college students ask every day, what, ask God, what is your will for my life? Because he's giving you gifts. He's giving you talents. He's giving you passions. He's giving you dreams that are unique to you, that are very different than he gave to me. And he, you could only find your fulfillment if you Seek God's will in your life. And not only do you ask him to, um, for his will, ask God that, could you give me the desire to obey them? 
Give me the strength to obey your commands. You know, single young adults, don't spend the majority of your time seeking, seeking after that one person huh, or that one thing that will make you, that you would make your life think, Life is good. You know, don't waste your time striving after that one person, thinking that if you were just in this relationship, that life would be so much better. If you had this one thing, life would be so much better. But instead, what I encourage you to do is spend your time keeping his, fearing God and keeping his commandments. Spend your time in engaging in things that are not under the sun, but are from everlasting to everlasting that will stand forever. And you know what? When you are engaging in activities that is the will of God for your life, when you are engaging in activities that have eternal value, guess what? You might look to the right, you might look to the left, and you might find somebody but you know the beauty of, well, not you guys, but um, <laughs> um, that threw me. <laughs> but guess what? When you look to the right or left and find that person, you're finding somebody who also is spending time and has the value of fearing God and keeping his commandments. You also find a person that is, has the value of investing their time on things that will last. You know, that's how I, my wife and I met. Where, you know, I thought, okay, God, I give up. I've tried your way. And okay, if I'm going to be single the rest of my life, I'll be single. You know, so I was working the singles ministry. I was overseeing the singles ministry at um, our church. I looked left, nothing. I looked right, and oh, that's grace. (laughs) <laughs> she was serving on the core team, right? And guess what? That started this wonderful relationship. What? With an individual who had the value of investing in things that lasted for eternity. That's how it works. And praise God, he allowed me to marry up, which I am so thankful for. <laughs> um, you know, for you married people or your parents, cherish each other, and love your children. This is what we see in Proverbs, Song of Solomon. When you think of the wisdom of Solomon, he's tried everything. And to the parents and to um, those of you who are married, love and cherish each other. Don't exchange um, time that you could have with each other for a job that somebody else is going to do. Don't exchange the time and effort you are putting in so you could have a house that somebody else is going to live in. Don't invest your time and energy to get this car that you want that someday will be in a junkyard. Do not invest your time in things that will take you away from your wife, your husband, and your children. Invest in those things and don't trade your time that you have with each other for things that are temporary. 
You know, one of the things that, you know, we did when Mike was young is, you know, we tried to do our best to invest in the things that, you know, he invested in. You know, we went, tried to see, you know, his basketball games, whether it was at um, uh, his uh, CYC games or uh, whether it was his school games, junior high. You know, when his, you know, a band um, competed, you know, we uh, went and saw, you know, his band as best we could. Because one thing, we didn't want to sacrifice time doing something else that we could have spent with um, encouraging our son or spending time as a family. Because you think our life here is so short? The time that you have with your kids is even shorter. So Solomon would urge you. Solomon's message for you today would be to cherish the time with your children and don't trade that just so you could move up in life. Don't trade up. Don't trade that time for anything. And finally, for those of you who are seniors, don't even think about retiring, okay? There is no retirement in the Bible. You know, when you think about retirement, they just serve the Lord until what? God took them home. And you could be such value to, you know, this community here. Because those of us who are younger, you know, We haven't experienced life like you do. You know, when I go to my peers or when you go to your peers, it's like the blind leading the blind. Why? Because we haven't experienced life. We don't know. We're just guessing. But you have the experience and the knowledge of walking with the Lord. You are the ones who have come to the same conclusion that Solomon came to, and you could pass that on to the younger generation. Say, I've been there. I've done that. Solomon is right. Don't invest your time working yourself to death at the office. Spend your time with your children. Spend your time with your wife. Don't go chasing after that one person. You know, that's chasing like chasing the wind. Go chasing after God. Put God the center of your life and let him worry about all of those things. And it's funny where, you know, some people say, you know what, I didn't really, I made so many mistakes in my life. Well, at least you could serve as a bad example to young people, you know. I mean, that's of some value, right? You know, just say, okay, you know what, I did this and learn from my mistakes. And this is why I counsel people. I've realized that the mistakes I've made sometimes are more valuable than the successes successes that I've had, right? Because I know they don't work, right? So if all you could serve is as a bad example, God will bless you for that, (laughs) you know? Just tell young people, don't do what I did. Learn from my mistakes, Tell people, tell the young people, yes, I went after all those things under the sun. And it led nowhere. It was meaningless. You know, I traded my time working at the office and I regret every minute that I didn't spend with my children or my wife. You could be an example. And I'm just joking about being an example because I know everybody here, you all have um, examples of 
what it meant to follow Jesus, to put God center. And we need to know that. Because you're assuming that a lot of us grew up in a Christian family. A lot of us, I did, but there are a lot of younger people in this room that have not. They are first-generation Christians. There was no one to teach them how to be a Christian husband or wife. There was no one to model what it meant to be a Christian father or mother. They need to learn from you. They need to learn from you. So I hope that you're open to that because one thing we want to start doing is pairing up the older with the younger so that you could learn from both what God has taught us you know, and the mistakes that we've made. But once again, scheduling is all important. Do you schedule? Does your schedule reflect things that are under the sun? Or does your schedule reflect things that will last for all eternity? If you put God in the center of your schedule, Yes, he's going to allow you to enjoy those things under the sun. But he says, you know what? Your ultimate fulfillment is not going to come from those things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying those things. But what God says is, look, if you schedule things that are eternal, if you put your schedule in making me first in your life, that's where you're going to find ultimate fulfillment, ultimate purpose in your life, and ultimate esteem. And this is what I'd like you to do this week. This is your weekly challenge. Read the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, don't stop. Because if you do, you're going to get depressed. You know, you're going to say, forget it. I'm going to find, go out and just run into the highway there and end life because it's meaningless. Read the entire book. If you can, read it in one sitting. I did yesterday at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so if I could do it at 1 o'clock in the morning, I knew you could when you have all your brain cells and this is the best part of your day. But read the entire book, okay? Every single morning, ask God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for my life today? Ask God, what is your will for my life in the future? But ask God that. And then what I want you to do is journal the responses that you feel you receive from God. Because so many times we, we, we do those things and we go, oh, yeah, okay, I get that, I get that. But if we don't write it down, guess what? We forget. But you know the blessing about journaling is? Is when you see God fulfilling, you know, um, his promises in your life. When you wrote them down and you say, huh, you want me to do this? That makes no sense. You want me to do that? That makes, this is your will for my life? It makes no sense. But maybe five, ten years now, you open your journal and you see, wow, it makes perfect sense. God, you are so good. Doesn't mean our life's going to be easy. Doesn't mean our life's going to be easy. But you go, wow, God, your will for me is perfect. Let's pray.